The definition of a miracle is an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause or such an effect or event manifesting or considered as a work of God. Question is today, does God still listen and supernaturally respond to us? The Barna Group did research for Lee Strobel's book called The Case for Miracles. And they found that 51% of people believe that miracles of the Bible happened as they are described. It's really unbelievable. 67% agreed that miracles are still possible today. And listen to this, 38% has said they are convinced that God has performed at least one miracle for them personally. That is roughly 94,792,000 people who said God did a miracle. That is astonishing. I love what Tim Keller said about miracles. There is nothing illogical about miracles. If a creator God exists, if a God exists who is big enough to create the universe in all its complexity and vastness, why should a miracle be such a mental stretch? Great quote, great question. Why is it such a stretch? But I ask you today, do you believe in miracles? As I just shared, many people would say, yes, they believe in miracles. But do we really expect God to bring about miracles today? And do we live with an anticipation that he would do a miracle in us and for us? As we continue on in our glimpse of God, the Waymaker, as he made the way for the Israelites to be freed from slavery in Egypt and began this journey of leading them to the Promised Land, we turn to Exodus 14 and we look at one of the greatest miracles we find in the Old Testament. It is the parting of the Red Sea. And as great as that miracle is on that day, I don't think it was the greatest miracle that happened. So I want to jump in. I want to see what God has to say to us today as we read his word and look at this story out of Exodus 14. But before we do that, I just want to go back a little bit. And I want us to remember that Moses was called by God. And God led Moses to speak with Pharaoh as he was just minding his own business out in the desert, tending sheep as an old man. But God came and he spoke to him and said, listen, I have a job for you and I will be with you and my power will be in you. Now go to Pharaoh and let my people go. Initially, Pharaoh was not responsive to Moses' request. And why would he be? I mean, he was asking for the Israelites, the slaves that he had, the workers that he had to be freed. So after the request, and he didn't really uh, respond to Moses, God began to show his might. And he brought a series of 10 plagues and each one attacked the various gods of the Egyptians. And that then put the world's most powerful government on its heels. God shows up, his power comes over all, and Pharaoh finally decides to let the Israelites go. But after they started to leave, Pharaoh kind of had a change of heart, and he begins to pursue them because he figured out what this really means to him and for his kingdom. And it's at this point that God does something confusing, something out of the ordinary, because rather than lead the Israelites on a straight journey, on a straight path, to the promised land, God takes them south, far, far south, and he brings them essentially into this dead end. 
There's a huge body of water, the Red Sea, which is staring at them. And as they begin to journey towards it, the Egyptians, the most powerful army in the world at this point, appear on the other side in all of their chariots ready to recapture them and bring them back to captivity. To the Israelites, man, it looked like an impossible situation. In fact, it is so dire that this situation, they say to Moses in chapter 14, verse 10, listen to this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. See, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So they saw the enemy pressing in. And what did they do? <laughs> they panicked. And then they asked Moses two questions. First one, was it, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? Think about that. What have you done to us, Moses, by bringing us out here? We are your people. Are you kidding me? After God had freed them, think about this, and God had shown himself in their freedom, they began almost immediately doubting he would be faithful to do what he said he would do. And look at chapter 13, verse 21, and what he was tangibly providing for them right in the moment when he freed them. Here's what it says. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor fire by night left its place in front of the people. So God was ever present. And this pillar was a source of darkness to the Egyptians, but it was a source of light to Israel. This is just a vivid picture of how the glory of God or work of God can be light to one person, yet, yet seem dark to another. And to the Israelites, God was providing three things. He was providing his presence, his guidance, and his provision. Think about it. The reason they were free is because the Lord had already provided a way. He sent those 10 plagues, as I talked about earlier, and he came against Pharaoh and all the gods and his people. And then he took the most powerful government in the world and put them on their knees. That's why Pharaoh even let them go in the first place. God had provided, God was providing, and he was guiding them to the promised land and was providing a way for their ultimate freedom. But they just couldn't trust him to provide in the unknown future that was ahead of them. Remember what they said to Moses in verse 12? Here's what it says. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? And it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Yet if you know this story, that's, that's not what they said at all. Look back at chapter 4, verse 29. Because here's what they actually said to Moses in the moment. Moses and Aaron, they brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. Listen to this. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped. 
You see, they bow down and, and they worship. They didn't say, leave us alone. Man, we want to be slaves to the Egyptians. This is our plan. This is our story. No. They bow down and worship. So I don't want you to miss this. Right now, the Israelites, see, they're already free. They're out of bondage, right? They're making their way into the promised land. But in the desert, <laughs> they've been given God's presence. They've been given God's guidance and his provision. They were free, but they did not have freedom. They lost trust. They lost their way. And now they become delusional and have lost all the memory of reality. Let us serve the Egyptians. That's where we'd be better off. Moses, you stink. I can't believe you brought us out here. You see, even though they are free, they are still in bondage. And they're still held captive by what so easily entangles them. Tim Keller um, equates their freedom to ours today. And he says it like this, just about people, but he calls it modern people. That's us. We love our freedom. But we define freedom as freedom from any form of authority or anything or anyone who is an authority over us. That means we're free. No restrictions to ourselves. We get to make our own decisions. The Israelites, they were free. But guess what? They were enslaved. They were enslaved to their circumstances. They were enslaved to their fear. They were enslaved to their worry. They looked back with delusion that slavery was better than freedom. But think about it. Don't we do the same thing? Even us that are followers of Christ, we're disillusioned with, with our past. And many of us are so fearful of our future, yet we say, God, we trust you. And we know we are free because of Jesus Christ, but many of us today, we're just honestly not living in freedom. Many Christians don't live in freedom because they are still enslaved to themselves. You're free by what God has done through Jesus, but you are, you're going to really serve something or someone and you say you're serving Jesus, but really by your actions, you're serving yourself. You're either going to serve the Lord in this life or you're going to serve yourself. And if you choose to serve yourself, you're always going to be enslaved. But it's only in serving and surrendering to Jesus, the scripture says that's actually where our freedom is found. Tim Keller said it this way, and I think it was really good and it is so true. First, you have to live for something. All of us have to live for something. Second thing, whatever you live for, it's controlling your life. Whether a bad thing or a good thing, it will be controlling your life and controlling your decisions. And the third thing, if you fail, well, the thing you live for, it will actually kill you. Not physically. Most of the time it's emotionally and spiritually. See, because what you live for will come after you and it will attack you and it will frustrate you and it will let you down because you are being mastered by the wrong master. If you live for yourself, you surely die, it says. Let's just say it this way. If you live for your kids, they're going to fail you if they haven't already. Finances, it's never going to be enough and ultimately satisfy you. If you live for your work or, or, or your business or even your country, it's going to fail you. And when it does, it will begin to kill you inside because you will realize that you are enslaved to the wrong master. The great theologian, Bob Dylan, he wrote a song called, You're Gonna Serve Somebody. 
You're going to serve somebody. Listen to what it says. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut some hair. You may be somebody's mistress. You may be somebody's heir, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Scripture says, choose you this day whom you will serve. The parting of the Red Sea, miracle for sure. But the real miracle, miracle was for us. God was making a way for his children to cross over the water and escape. And God was making a way for you to cross over from death into life, from darkness to light, from being enslaved to sin and yourself, and now walking in the freedom and the fullness of Jesus Christ. You see, the Red Sea parting, that was a miracle, but the real miracle was God was making a way. Jesus said it this way in John chapter five, very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The Red Sea, it was a picture. It was a symbol of what was to come. The Israelites were crossing over from death that was about to swallow them up and they were walking into new life. Moses, when he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. We remember that part really well, don't we? Let my people go. But we forget the next phrase. Why does God want his people freed? So they may worship him. Let my people go, the scripture says, so that they may worship me. See, God was bringing them into a new land, but into a new relationship with him. And he can do the same for you. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says it this way, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. Which means he is not holding your sins against you. He's not calling you guilty even though you are guilting you. Guilty, he is freeing you and bringing you new life. And the seas parted. And Moses and his people were ready to go through it. And after all of their complaining and wanting to go back to Egypt, Moses answered the people with this in verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Can you imagine what it was like on that day? Looking back and the army's pursuing and right there in front of them, the Red Sea is there and they don't know what to do. And God looks down and he says, just be still through Moses. And in verse 24, it says that during the night, the Lord jammed the chariots so they couldn't drive. He confused them and threw them into a panic. And look at verse 25, the second part of that, what the soldier said. It says, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And then as God spoke, Moses 
told them to stretch. He told Moses to stretch out his hand and the waters flowed back over the Egyptians and the Lord swept them into the sea and the entire army of Pharaoh, not one of them survived, it said in verse 29. Can you imagine what it was like for them standing in that moment when all of them were taken out and the sea parted? Scripture says it this way, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have been there when the, the sea parted and they walked through. I mean, depending on your personality. So I think whatever your personality is, some people would have seen the waters part and they would have took off running. Some would have walked and just looked up in, in awe at these sides of waters that were just standing still. Some of you in your personality, you would walk through in trepidation saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I don't know what it was like, but in that moment, it wasn't the quality of their faith that got them through. Remember, it was the object of their faith. It wasn't about them and what they were really believing in, if they were excited, or if they were fearful. It wasn't about them, but it was about their God. They had their eye on God and he never gave up on them. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And let me just say to you, it's a picture for you because if you live for yourself, you will fight for your way and your will and your rights and eventually you will be consumed and you will die. You're going to be on the wrong side at the end of that story. You see, floodwaters in the Bible, they're a picture of judgment. They represent God's justice and his judgment on his people. And God made a way for he parted the judgment and he gave the people a way to go on dry land when there seemed to be no way out. What a miracle. And last week we started the series Waymaker. We said that when, when God wants to make a way, God often uses ordinary people to, to lead the way. And God continues to do that. The question we asked at the beginning was, does God still do miracles today? And my answer is a wholehearted yes. And his greatest miracle is you. And that God made a way for you to be free, no longer enslaved to your sin, to fear or to worry or to circumstance. He made a way for you. And sometimes he uses you to help others. He uses you to help pave the way for someone else to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The question is, are you willing to live in freedom? And then are you willing to help someone else experience the miracle of freedom in their life? For God to make a way when there seems to be no way, he has to use people to help pave that way. And I'd love for you to hear a story of one son who helped his dad find his way to Jesus. Well, Ron, thank you for joining me and joining us in the midst of this story of when I talked to you a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. uh, I was just moved by your story, but by your dad's story. Mm -hmm. uh, as you and him, uh, just to jump right in, were estranged kind of in your relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, you had been apart, hadn't heard from him. Mm -hmm. 
he was a man that struggled with alcohol. And at this point of his life, uh, back in around 1995, he was uh, homeless, just getting kicked out of his hotel. Mm -hmm. And tell us on that Christmas Eve in 1995, what happened and kind of how God began to make a way in your life and in his life. Thank you, Matthew. You bet. Um, A key part of the story is that we had converted to Christianity. We accepted Christ and my dad didn't know that. Yeah. So when the telephone rang on Christmas Eve, 1995, we had already had our plans in place to attend church and so forth. And when the phone rang and it was him and he had, he needed to be picked up, uh, it was an immediate crisis. Yeah. This this man um, had a reputation of destroying a Christmas celebration. Yeah. And And so so right then you really weren't looking forward to maybe him coming into your house, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and the look on my wife, I'll never forget the look on Denise's face. It was like, what? Yeah. yeah. And so, but uh, I went and picked him up, brought him home and, uh, and told him, dad, we attend church on Christmas Eve. You do what? <laughs> and he said, I don't do church. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I said, well, you will tonight. Yeah. And he had every excuse, you know, what do I wear? And, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And so we, we figured all that kind of stuff out. And um, took him to church uh, against his will. It was kind of a dragging, screaming yeah. kind of a thing for him. And you were attending Rose Drive Friends Church. Yes. Our sister church uh, in, at that time, right? Correct. Yeah. And Rose Drive in those years made a big deal about Christmas Eve yeah. services yeah. and, you know, and so forth. And so took him, took him to church that night. And um, I was actually in the choir loft uh, and looking down. And seeing my dad and my wife in the front row of the pew, what thinking, <laughs> I wonder how this is going to work. Right. <laughs> they didn't have the best of relationships yeah, to begin yeah. with. And, um, and so uh, the next thing that happened is uh, our pastor, C.W. Perry, walked up to the podium and he always told a, told a Christmas Eve story every, yeah. every Christmas Eve. Right. And on this particular Christmas Eve, sure. he told a story about a homeless drunk. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I can see my dad from my vantage point. I can see him looking at the pulpit and his eyes were just huge. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw tears coming down his face. And I know that a chord had been struck. Yeah. God uh, was speaking right to him. What a story. Yeah. Right. And and I knew it. I knew that a holy moment was taking place. And... uh, Anyway, we, we went home and resumed our Christmas Eve activities, but what occurred afterwards, you know, was the miracle. Yeah. Is yeah. He, uh, he accepted Christ as a savior and his um, battle with alcohol yeah. was over. Wow. Stopped. He, did, he didn't drink again. Never drank again. No. Yeah, so he didn't really just make him savior, he made him Lord. <laughs> yes. And he surrendered everything. Yes. Yeah. And this is, and at that time he was in his um, early or late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. Can't remember exactly. Yeah. But um, but anyway, uh, a life you know a life full of alcohol, and that that, that was, was it. His, that was his moment. Yeah. He had he had an encounter with God, and that yeah. that yeah. was a turning point. Yeah. So his life changed. So your family life changed from then. Is that right? 
Yes, yeah. he immersed himself in family activities in, really? in ways that I ne had never seen in my own mm -hmm. boyhood life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he never missed a baseball game for my boys. Really? Uh, attended graduations. Uh, and another, another part of the miracle is my mom and dad divorced in 72 and they wound up getting remarried. <laughs> so 72 to 95, they were divorced. Yeah, well, they, they actually got remarried in the early 2000s. Oh, wow. But yeah, but yes. Even further. Yeah, right. Unbelievable. Because after she saw a change in him yeah, and, yeah. and so forth, they wound up reconnecting and then... Getting so remarried. It was uh, whenever... I mean, I always know that God is real when I think of that story. Yeah, he totally is real. And mm -hmm. he did a miracle in your dad, which I'm going to guess for your kids and even your grandkids coming in, now you yes. get to tell that story. I do. And you get to see the faithfulness of God. Yes. And so I know for you, you believe God does miracles without a doubt. Yes. But that was kind of a Red Sea moment. I mm -hmm. can't even imagine if salvation mm -hmm. wasn't enough, getting mm -hmm. alcohol out of his life, mm -hmm. but to remarry your mom, Yes. what a moment. Yeah. And he was bilingual and he used to take, uh, he joined me on mission trips to Mexicali. Did he really? Serving the Lord. That's you so know, awesome. I, I couldn't, you, no one could believe what yeah. they saw. Well, People that knew him from the past. Yeah. It's like, who is this guy? Yeah, you know? <laughs> he's totally, he's a new yeah. creation. Just read mm -hmm. that. He, the old had passed away, mm -hmm. now the new had come. Mm -hmm. um, your dad passed away when? In 2006. 2006. Mm -hmm. The greatest gift mm -hmm. that God made a way for him mm -hmm. to have eternity. Mm -hmm. And the greatest miracle is you'll get to be with him. Yeah. How awesome is that? Mm -hmm. um, thanks for sharing mm -hmm. that story. Thanks for sharing that miracle. Mm -hmm. And thanks for letting us see what God can do mm -hmm. when we just kind of help pave the way mm -hmm. for someone to have God make a way. Mm -hmm. So thanks, Ron. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Was that story unbelievable? How awesome of Ron to introduce his dad to Jesus. Miracle. Remember in the beginning, it is such an effect or event manifesting or considered as a work of God. As I said at the top of this talk, my favorite line in the Forrest Gump was, Mama told me miracles happen every day. Some people, they don't think so, but they do. The greatest miracle is that God made a way for you to be free. Here's what his word says in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Freedom is waiting for you. But to be free, you must accept the free gift of salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. He made a way by dying on a cross for all your sins and offers you the ability to cross over from death to life, from being enslaved to freedom in Jesus. Death, fear, worry, heartache, storms that rock your world will not win in the end because in Jesus you have been given eternal life. How amazing of a miracle is that? Acts 4 verse 12 says it this way, salvation is found in no one else for there is no one no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation is a gift to you. And today Jesus made a way for you to be saved. To cross over from death to life. From old to new. And he's left that choice up to you. As for those of you who are followers of Jesus. Some of you, if you admit it, 
just be honest, you're in the desert right now. And you just feel trapped. Oh yeah, Jesus has set you free. But your actions keep saying, I- I'm enslaved. And by choosing to be enslaved, you keep saying, not verbally, but by how you live, take me back to Egypt, man. It was much better back there when I was in captivity. Fear, for many of you in the season, it's just caught you dead in your tracks. You can't move and you don't know what to do next. Some of you have been so distracted in the season and so focused on the wrong things that you now are worrying yourself to death. Worrying about our country, your future, your finances, your children, your health, you name it. You are enslaved to your fear. And today God wants you to escape from what enslaves you. He wants you to kill what is killing you and fully surrender yourself to him and receive the freedom he has already died for. The Israelites really didn't trust God to deliver them. And honestly, neither do some of you. They didn't understand the power of God and the ability that God had to overcome every situation. And they live like it. And when they called him into freedom... They walked and were free, but they were still enslaved. Today, you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to be delusional about the past or the future. You, if you know Jesus Christ, you were bought with a price. And that price was his death. So you could walk in new life. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And he says, now walk as though that is true. You are free. And today as I close... I want to give some of you an invitation to become a new creation in Christ. To walk into the life he has for you and to know that he is walking with you. And for those of you who who made that decision to follow Jesus, I just want to invite you back into freedom that is yours. The decision you made to trust in Jesus, you've already made a decision that God has set you free. But believe me, with all my heart, God wants to do a miracle in you today. And that miracle starts with you admitting to him that you're in need of him. And so I want to close in a time of prayer. And wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, if you're listening, and you could put your hands in a posture of surrender with your palms up as I pray, if you would do that for me right now. God, I I thank you for this unbelievable story. I thank you that you still do miracles today. And I believe, God, the greatest miracle on that day was you did part the Red Sea. But you made a way for me to be in relationship with you. The parting of the Red Sea is just a picture, a symbol, and it is pointing to your son, Jesus Christ. And today we just point to him and we say thank you. And for those of us, God, who have never made a decision, that you are inviting us today to follow you, to trust you, and to give you our life. And for those that are watching right now, if they've never made a decision, Jesus, for you, that salvation is your gift to them, and they just simply need to say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I'm done. I want to be free. Come into my heart. I choose to believe. I give you my life. I believe you made a way for me. And I accept that way with Jesus Christ. And now I want to come out of the old and I want to be a new creation. Thank you for making a way for me. God, for those who who just prayed, that prayer, a miracle took place. 
in the supernatural way, God, you came by the power of your spirit and they are now children of God. And we say thank you. And for those of us who walk as your children, as followers of Jesus, God, some of us aren't walking in freedom. And today with our palms up, what we're saying is, God, we're surrendering everything, our fear, our worry, our anxieties. Things are closing in on all sides and we don't know what to do. So God, we just, we entrust it back to you. It is yours. Our life is yours. And God, I know you're going to make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. I know you're working when we can't see it. I know you're working when we can't hear it. So God, I trust you as the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. You are the light in the darkness. And now I entrust my life to you again. And I say, God, take my life. It is yours. I trust you. God, would you kill some of the things today that are enslaving people? from fear and anxiety and worry and worship of the wrong things. God, may they put you back in first place and may they honor you with the life you've given them. So today we say thank you. Thank you for your stories. Thank you that you are still working miracles and thank you that you are gonna continue to make a way for each and every one of us that has put our trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.